Happy Easter. I want you to help me with something. I'm going to say he is risen. I want you to say he is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Good job. I'm happy for you. Now, let me answer the question you're thinking right now. The question is, yes, this is a real bow tie that I tied myself. It hurts my feelings. You would even think that this might be fake. Happy Easter to you and your family. I wish we were face to face today, but I'm grateful that we have God's word to join in together. So would you open your Bibles to John chapter 20, and we're going to study about a gentleman named Thomas. This day is unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, who could have guessed it would have been like this? And what makes this day unbelievable is not the fact that we are quarantined, has nothing to do with a pandemic. What makes this day unbelievable is that the sinless Son of God loved us so much that He came to us and laid down His life, dying on a cross for our sin so that we could be saved forever. That's what's amazing and unbelievable about this day. Now, for a disciple named Thomas, this day was totally unbelievable, meaning he did not believe any of the story that you're going to read here in just a little bit. He didn't believe anything about Christ's resurrection. He rejected it outright. Now, throughout history, Thomas has had a nickname. Can you think of what we've called him before? We've called him Doubting Thomas. But that name really is not very accurate. He's not a doubter. Thomas is an unbeliever, and he is a hardened unbeliever. Now, it's possible that you come into this Easter, I come into this Easter, in some spiritual turmoil. Uh, things have been challenging for us on a number of fronts, and if you're in some spiritual turmoil today, well, you're in good company because the same was true of the disciples of Jesus. In the days immediately after his crucifixion, these guys, they had their worlds thrown into chaos. But everything changed for them whenever they saw the resurrected Christ and they believed. And that's the same promise held out to you and I that when we believe, our lives will be changed as well. It's my prayer that today you'll hear the story of Thomas, you will believe in Jesus and that you will enjoy life everlasting in his name. So I want you to take a moment and read our passage. It's John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. Read it on your own or have someone there in the room with you read it. Hit pause on the video, and then I'll catch up with you on the other side. So Thomas is an unbeliever, and Thomas is going to be our teacher this morning. Thomas teaches us three very important life lessons. The first life lesson Thomas teaches us is this. Thomas teaches us the misery of disbelief. We start out in this really negative place. Thomas is such a fascinating character in John's gospel. Uh, Thomas has three, maybe four speaking parts, depending on how you count in the Gospel of John. And all three of the, these speaking parts have a similar tone to them. They all sound like unbelief. The first one is in John chapter 11. That's where Jesus gets word that his friend Lazarus has died. And so Jesus is going to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. That's what he says to his disciples. The problem with this is the town in which Lazarus died and lived and died, that's 
enemy territory for Jesus. He's a wanted man there, and it's dangerous for Jesus to be seen there. And so when Jesus tells the disciples, I'm going to go and wake up our friend Lazarus, Thomas responds to Jesus. He says, uh, let's go that we might die with him. Now we might think, what brave words by Thomas. He's willing to go and die for Jesus. But this is not courage, this is disbelief. Remember, Jesus just told his disciples, I'm going to go raise Lazarus from the dead. And what does Thomas say? No, you're not. You're going to go die, so we'll go die with you. It's a statement of disbelief. That's not the only one. Fast forward a little bit to John chapter 14. In the previous chapter, John 13, it's the night before Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he has washed his disciples' feet. He has predicted that Judas would betray him. He's predicted that Peter would deny him. And when you get to chapter 14, the disciples are in a lot of inner turmoil. And so Jesus tries to comfort them. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know the way to where I am going. And Thomas responds. And what does Thomas say? He says, Lord, uh, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? It's a question that expresses disbelief. And so Jesus responds in a verse that you've heard many, many times perhaps throughout your life. Jesus says to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you'll also know my Father from now on. You do know him and have seen him. Thomas's third speaking part here in chapter 20, you read it just a little bit ago. Jesus had just appeared to his disciples in this locked room. It's his first appearance to the disciples after his resurrection. But Thomas wasn't there. Where was he? We don't know, but he just wasn't present for this moment. But can you imagine the scene he stepped into when he came back to that room? When he walked in, I imagine the place was loud. It was chaos. And every storyteller with big eyes was saying, Thomas, you're not going to believe this. Jesus was just here. We saw him. We heard him. He's alive. And Thomas responded in so many words, you're right, I don't believe it. He said, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas's disbelief in the resurrection is deep and it is angry. Now Thomas, in this story, he is a reflection of all of us. He's a hurting person. He hears the good news that Jesus is alive. He hears it from a reliable source, from eyewitnesses, and yet he doesn't believe. That could be your story today as well. Maybe you have good reasons for not believing. You know, seldom have I met a true intellectual atheist, meaning someone who's just reasoned themselves into disbelief. Most often I've met this individual the one I would call the hurting atheist. Atheist might be a strong word, but hurting is an accurate word. It's a person who doesn't believe in the story of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and they don't believe because of personal hurts they've encountered in their lives. I think of a friend of mine from several years ago. Uh, on our first meeting, uh, she explained to me that because of abuses she had suffered throughout her life, that she did not believe. And she said this, if Jesus were real, he would not allow me to go through those things. 
I understand where that disbelief comes from. Uh, our hurts have a way of fracturing our faith, making it really difficult for us to believe the good news. And sometimes we carry those hurts with us in such a way that any sort of joy we would see in a Christian or any sort of kindness we would experience from a Christian might seem plastic, not realistic. But you know, Christians also struggle with disbelief. It's not uncommon at all for people of faith to go through situations that fracture their faith, that harden our hearts, that turn us into cynics. And we still go through the motions and we celebrate the holidays and, and we get together with our church family, but inside because of the things we've experienced and the hurt we carry, it's hard for us to believe to really think Jesus has all of this. Disbelief is such a miserable place to live. My friend who had rooted herself in her disbelief, you know, she, uh, she did not find in that disbelief any sort of justice. She did not find vindication. She did not find peace. Uh, her abusers had power over her years after uh, their initial acts. Disbelief is a miserable place for us to live, and Thomas models that for us. He shows us the pain and the isolation of disbelief. Something has to change for Thomas. Something has to change for you. And so Thomas teaches us a second lesson in this story as well. He's shown us the misery of disbelief. The second lesson, Thomas teaches us the power of Jesus' grace. Uh, there's an important timestamp at the beginning of verse 26. Look at it in your Bible. It tells us a week later, Jesus' disciples were indoors again. A whole week goes by from Thomas's defiant statement of disbelief to what happens in verses 26 and 27. A whole week. Now, I think throughout that week, Thomas is still with the disciples. And what a weird and awkward situation that had to be. The disciples, they've got to be pumped up. They saw Jesus. They know he's alive. Good things are happening. But here's Thomas still with them, still not believing. When Jesus shows up in the room here in a little bit, I don't think he finds Thomas primed for faith. I think he finds him with his heart further calcified. He's been around all these believers and he's the lone unbeliever and nothing is going to change that. And why does Jesus wait a week? Why doesn't he just take care of Thomas right away? Well, perhaps Jesus makes him wait it out because he wants Thomas to experience this amazing grace that he has for him. You see, Thomas, the loudest and most brazen objector, probably should have been kicked out of the group altogether. See, he has, in essence, renounced Jesus. He's not just doubting. This is not just some sort of small doubt. This is egregious disbelief, a violent rejection of Jesus and all that he stood for and all that he said. He belongs in the same category as Peter the denier whenever it comes to horrible sins. I mean, Thomas has really done some horrible stuff here. You and I would write him off. You and I would say, there's no hope for Thomas. We're going to go with the rest of the group. But Jesus sees beneath that heart of stone, and he loves that man. And so the week-long delay doesn't make grace any more difficult for Jesus to give. 
but it makes it that much sweeter for Thomas to receive. He's shown grace in abundance. Jesus appears in the room and he calls Thomas by name and he tells him, touch my hands, touch my side. It's astounding that Jesus would stoop to a rebel like Thomas. But then again, we forget that the cross is for Thomas the unbeliever and Peter the denier and Saul the persecutor and you. I mean, how good is Jesus to reveal himself to us even though we have rejected the obvious truth of his love and his sacrifice? Now, right now, you and I, we are living in such a unique time. We will always remember this Easter because of the virus and the quarantine and just the weirdness of all of this. And I think all of us, we're sitting in isolation. And maybe you're not just in a locked house. Maybe you're in a locked life. And now more than ever, maybe this is the right time for you to hear clearly the voice of Jesus to you. Uh, I mean, consider this, uh, the virus, this microscopic, hyper-contagious virus has turned our whole world upside down. It's impacting us on a large scale as well as on a personal scale. On the large scale, our collective voice as a nation is just outrage at each other. Everyone disagrees with everyone over everything. Every headline, every news story, every speaker at a microphone, everyone disagrees with everyone. Someone says we need to quarantine. Someone else says we don't need to quarantine. We need to close businesses. We need to open businesses. The relief bill is great. The relief bill is not enough. The government's doing great. The government's destroying us. And all we're expected to do is choose our own outrage and join the masses in their screaming at each other. Our old support structures are proving to be fragile and weak. This is also impacting us on a personal basis. How's it impacted your home? Maybe you've lost income. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you've been sick. Someone you care for has been sick. It could be even that you have a funeral to attend because of this virus. Anxiety and fear are on the rise in so many parts of our lives. And this is precisely the place where you and I can hear the voice of Jesus the clearest. Uh, when our big support structures are revealed to be fragile and weak, when our own lives feel the pain of loss and fear, when all our little gods are proven to be fraudulent, this is when Jesus invades the room. And when he speaks to you by name and he says to you what he said to Thomas, peace be with you. Don't be faithless, but believe. What relief must Thomas have felt when he heard those words from Jesus and then he said in reply, my Lord and my God. In an instant, his life is set right. He goes from unbeliever to believer. He goes from godless to God's man, from cynic to saved, all because of the grace of Jesus Christ, the same grace held out to you this very moment. Thomas shows us the misery of unbelief, the power of Jesus' grace, and finally, Thomas teaches us the blessing of belief. Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God, and Jesus replies to him, teaches this man a lesson in the moment. He says, Thomas, uh, blessed, or, or you, excuse me, he says, Thomas, you have seen me and you have believed. 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And who is that? Who is it that has not seen Jesus and yet believes? That's us. Jesus has us in mind whenever he says this word. There are going to be those who don't see and yet believe, and those people are blessed. The old adage is that seeing is believing, but that's just not true. Judas and the mob saw Jesus in the garden and did not believe. Pilate saw Jesus face to face, did not believe. An angry crowd saw Jesus hang on the cross and die there, and they did not believe. And many people saw the empty tomb and did not believe. Thomas heard eyewitness accounts, did not believe at first. Seeing is not believing. The message of the Bible is that hearing is believing. Jesus says those who hear and believe are blessed. And what does that blessing look like? Well, John goes on here in chapter 20 to tell us. He picks up on Jesus' line. Blessed are those who hear and believe without seeing. And John tells us this. Look at verse 30. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus said, if you hear and believe, you're blessed. And so what is the blessing that comes with belief? Well, John tells us at the end of verse 31, that blessing is life in his name. How long does that life last? It's everlasting. It's eternal life. And that eternal life is free from sin and guilt and shame. And that eternal life is free from pandemics and every sickness and every tear and every death. And that eternal life is full of joy and peace and comfort and hallelujahs. And that eternal life is with Jesus, your Lord and your God. Thomas has been such a good teacher to us this Easter morning to show us how miserable disbelief is, how powerful the grace of Jesus is, and how blessed is the believing life, the one who trusts in Jesus Christ, Messiah and the Son of God. And so to you, my Christian brother, sister, do you need help with your disbelief today? Because of some hurt you carry, some burden you're under, anxiety and fear looming large in your life, brother, sister, run to Jesus. Cry out to him, my Lord and my God. And in him today, Find your rest and your comfort and your peace. Tomorrow we'll wake up in a world still in chaos, but Christ is the anchor of your soul. And to you, the friend watching who has struggled with belief, you're not a follower of Jesus. I wonder if today, if you would learn from Thomas, if you would hear the voice of Jesus cutting through the room you're in even now, calling you by name and calling you, to stop doubting and believe, to trust in him. This is the moment your life can be changed forever, life everlasting given to you because you hear the good news that you are loved and that Jesus died for you and that he rose again and that by believing in him, you can have life everlasting in his name. And one of our poets has said it this way. The lyric goes, Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come brokenhearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, O sinner, come kneel. 
earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So maybe this is your day. And wherever you're watching this right now, your life can be changed by saying yes to Jesus Christ. So would you even right now, just in your own words, just say yes to him. Yes, I believe you died for my sin and rose again. And yes, you are my Lord and my God, and I give my life to you. In your own words, would you say yes to Jesus Christ and know eternal life forever in this moment? And maybe you're not ready. Maybe you want to have more of a conversation. So call someone. This video is done in just a few seconds. Call up a friend who's a Christian and talk to them about it. Or get on our website and you can find our office number. You can call. You can email us through the website. I'd love to talk with you and help you think through what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how great his love for you is. Don't put off eternal life another day. You deserve grace and peace and forgiveness this very moment. So this Easter, let's come to blessing. Let's come to life. Let's come to Jesus, our Lord and our God.